Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, January the 19th, 2022. It is currently 4.59 p.m. Central Time, and you know the rest. I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And it is time once again for our Bible study exercise. This week, our Bible study exercise is focusing really on a topic, and that topic is spiritual pitfalls. But the text that we're kind of using to really get us into this bigger discussion is Genesis chapter 37. You also have some verses that you're supposed to be memorizing in Genesis chapter 37. I hope you're doing that. We've had some good discussions this week on spiritual pitfalls. Someone sent me an email today listing some of their spiritual pitfalls It was very open. It was very honest. I really appreciate that. They really offered up some some spiritual pitfalls that I may have never even considered. So it it was very helpful for me to just see those listed out. And hopefully you're doing the same thing. You're thinking about these ideas of spiritual pitfalls, and I hope it's benefiting you. I hope it's benefiting you. I say that all the time. And I hope you're spending a lot of time in Genesis 37. I hope you're just spending a lot of time right there, Genesis chapter 37, reading it, reading it, reading it, and looking at this historical narrative about what was going on in that family. I mean, that family had some some serious issues, and what can we learn from it? I mean, it's there for us to learn, for us to 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 see what we can gain from what happened to them. Now, in our last Bible study exercise episode. I really put forth the idea. Now, I thought it was going to spark a lot of debate. I thought it was going to spark a lot of conversation. It really hasn't as of yet. I never really know how that's going to go. Sometimes the the conversation, you know, is two, three, four, five days behind when an episode airs, when people actually get a chance to listen to it. So I don't know when when the conversation will occur, but I'm thinking it's going to be somewhat I'm still waiting for some controversy to erupt from it because I made the claim and I, and I'm standing by it that in a sense, family is a spiritual pitfall. And remember our, our definitions of a pitfall, a pitfall, a pit flimsily covered or camouflaged and used to capture and hold animals or men. A pitfall is a pit that has a flimsy cover on the top of it so that you don't see that it's a pit. It looks safe. It looks fine. It looks okay. And you walk out there and boom, you fall through. And where do you find yourself? In a pit. And I think spiritually speaking, family looks and, 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 and rightly, and, and it's rightly said that family is a blessing. There's all these wonderful things that come from it. All of that is true. But if you don't understand all of the spiritual dangers when you when you get involved in family, no matter, I mean, you're, everyone's involved in family in some way, shape, or form, but family has spiritual pitfalls that you have to be on the lookout for. That's why even the Apostle Paul said, obviously, when you're single, you can mind the things of the Lord, but once you get married, well, then now your focus has to be on, on the things of this world. You have to please your wife. You have, you have family responsibilities. So with that, those are some spiritual pitfalls that family 
puts forth. Jesus himself said, hey, love, don't love mother, father, daughter, or child more than me. If you do so, you, you hate me. So, uh, Someone listening just said they 1,000% agree that family can be a spiritual pitfall. I'm not going to say who that person is because maybe some of their family members are listening, okay? Because I'm joking at someone in my church and, well, their family does go here. So, yeah, so but but the point, <laughs> the point is family can be a spiritual pitfall. I mean, I want to make sure you understand. I'm not saying that it's not a blessing. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I'm not saying that the family is a very important institution in the Bible. I'm not in any way denying any of that. I'm not denying any of that. But I, at the, but at the same time, I can't deny the spiritual pitfalls that come with it because you, there's just so much there. Not only do you have the pitfall of loving family more than, than the things of God, you have the responsibilities, you have this, you have that and this and that and problems and difficulties and this. And, and it just creates all of these issues that you have to navigate. And, and, and especially, for example, once you get married, you enter now into this relationship that has all kinds of spiritual things connected to it, right? Husband have to love the wife uh, as Christ loves the church. The wife's supposed to submit. You have, you have what God has joined together. Let no man put asunder. You've got a million issues now that you're like, wait a minute. Before you entered into that, you didn't have all of those rules and, and, and you didn't have to even deal with any of that. Now you get married and all of a sudden, here, here's, here's all of your now spiritual responsibilities. Okay, which those then can serve in a sense as a spiritual pitfall because now you can, well, not follow through disobey. And now you're in a, you're, you're, you found yourself in a pit. So I, I'm just going to continue to put that out there. Family, just in general, is a spiritual pitfall. Some people get really upset when I say things like that and get mad, but it's just, I just, I don't see how you can get around it. I mean, the, the fact that Jesus warns you about love of family, okay, that, it, that if you don't hate mother and father, you're not even worthy of him. He would not have to say that if there is not an inherent spiritual danger attached to it. So I, I just think that it, it's obvious in that particular case. Now, where to go with this today? This is going to be interesting, all right? And, I, and I've debated with myself, do I just offer this up in a very dogmatic way or do I offer this up in kind of a, will you figure it out? And, and it is Bible study exercise rules. So that means I do some of the teaching and some I just kind of put before you because I don't like you to be a passive listener, but an active participant. But let's go back to Genesis 37, all right? And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mark Genesis 16. There's a reason why. Uh, but let's go to Genesis 37. All right, here we go. Genesis 37, verse 1. Now remember, I'm looking at this in regards to spiritual pitfalls. What spiritual pitfalls can we see in Genesis 37? I know the primary purpose of this text is to tell us about this family. It gives us a histor historical narrative of this family. Obviously, the focus becomes on Joseph, and then it really in introduces Joseph's story. And then Joseph's story becomes a story really focused on the sovereignty of God and in light of all of these circumstances. There's no question about that. I understand that. But I think in this story, 
we can see this concept of spiritual pitfalls and we can learn from that as well. And that's why I'm using it this way. I'm trying to make it very clear. I'm doing this more in a topical way for this Bible study exercise. Typically, we look at it in a a different way, but I'm doing it on purpose this time. All right, so here we go. Look carefully in Genesis 37.1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now, immediately right here, we start getting the emphasis here, obviously, on family. We have Jacob and his father is mentioned. Isaac. Now, we have the, we, we, we already have this kind of structure being put in place. Here's Jacob, his father is mentioned, and then continue. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. So we have Jacob, we have Isaac referenced, at least not, it's implied, it's not explicit, we have Joseph, we have his brethren, and then the land, uh, he was feeding the flocks with his brethren, and the land was with, and the lad, not the land, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So now we have wives, we have brothers, we have the son, we have sons, I should say, we have sons, we have wives, we have Jacob, we have his father. We have all of these things indicating family, 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 family. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't just pull this idea of family just out of nowhere. It comes right here from the text. It's it's giving you this whole family structure. It's letting us, it's giving us insight into look at this family, look into this family. And when I look in this family, I can't help but say, man, that family has a lot of spiritual pitfalls for everyone in that family. Wait a minute. Every family has spiritual pitfalls. But let's focus on this. All right, so here we go. We're not even going to get past verse two, all right? So these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now stop right here. Now, we have the spiritual pitfall of family. Now, we have the spiritual pitfall, listen, of polygamy. And I know what you're thinking. I don't have to worry about the spiritual pitfall of polygamy. Just go ahead and write it down. But we're going to discuss the polygamy issue here because I don't know how to classify it. I'm struggling with what to do with the, with the, with the uh, polygamy here. Is it a spiritual pitfall? Clearly, it becomes a spiritual pitfall, really, for almost everyone in the Old Testament. This this polygamy thing becomes a, a major issue in the Old Testament. Every time you turn around, that person's got two wives, that's got three wives, he's got seven wives, He's and it goes on, and, well, he's got, like, you know, 700 wives, and you know, he goes on and on, or, or 300 wives and 700 concubines. You get the idea. that oh, You see this happening over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. So I will argue clearly it's a spiritual pitfall. It's a spiritual pitfall because they are clearly in a culture that allows it. They, they're in a culture that clearly accepts it. And so it looks acceptable. It looks allowed. It looks perfectly acceptable, perfectly okay. However, boom, it's a spiritual pitfall because it seems in almost every case where there is polygamy, it doesn't seem to ever be... <laughs> A good situation. It almost always leads to problems in some way, shape, or form. So, but here's my question for you. Here's my question. Do we classify polygamy 
as a separate spiritual pitfall in and of itself? Or do we place uh, polygamy in the category of generational sin? In other words, spiritual pitfalls, number one, family. Number two, do I say the next spiritual pitfall is generational sins? Or do I say the next pitfall is polygamy and I don't include it in generational sins? And should we even call it polygamy? Should we call it something else? So let's let's go through this, all right? First, let me define what a generational sin is. Generational sins, and we've talked about this early on, but let me just go back through this. Generational sins are weaknesses or tendencies that are handed down to us through the generations from parents or members of our family. These sins can involve behavioral patterns and ways of thinking that keeps us trapped in the past. Even though sin can be, even though sin can be passed down through the generations, each person is responsible for his or her personal sins against the Lord. Generational sins have many patterns. Once a sin pattern begins in a family, it can continue and multiply among the family members. It can last for generations and can become a stronghold and a stumbling block for the whole family. Now, here in Genesis 37, I just, I love the fact the way the Bible just records these historical things. Just, it, it doesn't offer any moral judgment. It just says, here's what happened. Hey, I mean, it, it's almost like a, 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 it's almost like a secondary thought at this point, right? It, it's, it's just like, it's almost like, uh, it, it, it's, it's almost viewed as like no big deal. It's, it's almost said in passing. Let me read it again. Gen- Genesis 37, verse two. These are the generations of Jacob. Jacob being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Just, it's just like stated as a matter of fact. Hey, where, where was Joseph? Oh, he was feeding the flock with the, with these brethren, uh, the brethren are the children of these two women who were Jacob's wives. It's just stated in like a matter of fact. There you have it. It's setting the scene. But we can't just, and, and my, especially for this Bible study exercise, I want us to stop and consider what's going on here. Is that a generational sin? Now, I could, I could just give you an assignment right now. Go back to Genesis, start in Genesis 4 and go from Genesis 4 to Genesis 36. How many times do you see polygamy being practiced? And do any of the people practicing it, are they related to Jacob? Is this something that we see just enter into the family and it seems to be practiced and practiced? Now, I, I can give you a good start. I can give you a good start. Remember I said I was marking Genesis chapter 16. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said, um, okay, I'm going to read that uh, in just a minute. Uh, someone listening live just posted a comment. Uh, so verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, 
took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Well, Sarai is already his wife. If Hagar is now his wife, he now has two wives. That is polygamy. Okay, that is polygamy. That's Abram, or which will be Abraham, who which will bring Isaac, right? Who will bring Jacob? And now what do we see with Jacob? He has wives. And I bet you you can find other examples of polygamy between Genesis 16 and Genesis 37. And I bet you you will find polygamy being practiced after Genesis 37, right? Yeah, so uh, it, it's it's all over. It's definitely in the family. It's definitely in the family. Someone uh, p- posted, I was thinking of it as more of a generational sin, but it could be a spiritual pitfall and include maybe some other sexual sin or sin in marriages, but uh, like it as maybe in the generational sin category under the pitfalls. So yeah, so, so just make sure we understand this. I... I'm looking for the spiritual pitfalls. And so my original plan was to do this. What are the spiritual pitfalls? This was the original plan. Spiritual pitfall number one, generational sins. I was going to list generational sins as the number one spiritual pitfall because it's something we don't see. It, it's 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 covered. It's camouflage because, well, it's just the way you were raised. It's just the way people in your family think or the, the way people in your family act. It's just something you just kind of, you just inherit thinking that way. You kind of have the same attitude. You kind of just develop the same thing. So I, that was my original. And then I was going to list everything really as generational sins, but then I decided, no, I'm going to break this down. So I, so that's why I said family first, because gener- before you can get to generational sins, you have to have family. So family itself is a spiritual pitfall, right? Now, family is what brings about those generational sins. So I thought family would be the first spiritual pitfall. Then what is number two? Well, then I was going to immediately go to generational sins, generational sin. I was going to immediately jump to generational sins, but then I decided, nope, nope, no, nope. I'm going to, I'm going to possibly, possibly put generational sins even further down the list. And I'm going to bring up this idea of polygamy and then ask ourselves, now this is very important. Is it a generational sin? Now it's going to be, if it's a generational sin, then I just list polygamy as a generational sin and say the second pitfall, spiritual pitfall is generational sins. But if we separate it, here's my thinking. Now now listen. In fact, I have it right here in my journal. This is what I wrote down in my journal. Now I've I've started, I've, I've worked on Genesis 37. Like every time I work with Genesis 37, I keep, I keep turning to a different page in my journal because I keep approaching it different every time. My original was Genesis 37, spiritual pitfalls. Spiritual pitfall number one, generational sins. What are generational sins? Let's go through Genesis 37 and find all of the generational sins. And that'll be the spiritual, and all of them, and that's, and that's the pitfalls because generational sins is the main spiritual pitfall. That's kind of how I was going to, to do it. Then I've, I keep changing it and changing it up. Because I keep thinking and thinking and thinking and meditating and meditating on it, which is exactly what we're supposed to do with the text. And I'm doing it that way on purpose because if I just, if I do all the work first and just come here and turn on the mic and just say, here's the way it is, then it's not a Bible study exercise. You're not involved in it. 
So I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep moving forward and moving back, trying to get you to meditate over the same verses and try to determine what you see. So here's my thinking. Spiritual pitfalls, Genesis 37. All right. Family number one. I just, I'm going to stick with that because you can't even get to generational sins without family. All right. So family just in general is a spiritual pitfall. Number two, polygamy is the next thing mentioned. But do I want to call it polygamy? Because then that, would that be very relevant to us? So this is what I wrote down. Is polygamy a generational sin or is it the spiritual pitfall of cultural influence? Is the polygamy a a true generational sin. Now, I'm not saying it's, it. they obviously it's learned from the previous generations. It's obviously there in the early family. There's no question to get around. It's there. But is it really a generational sin or is it more the influence of culture upon the family? I think what I'm going to do for the purpose of this study is this. Uh, I, I think I'm sorry. I, I was turning away from the microphone because I was looking down at my journal, and I was I was thinking about, well, did I do that the right way? I was I was questioning my own decision, but I'm going to go with this right now. See if you if this will work for you. Spiritual pitfall number one: family in general, right? And it, to me, that fits perfectly because it's like it's camouflaged. You don't even see it. You're just in your family, and next thing you realize, boom, that's a spiritual pitfall. I mean, who would have known when I became a Christian? I mean, who? I mean, I never would have realized this when I became a Christian. Now, I knew my family had a million issues. I knew, I knew it had a bazillion issues, right? But when I became a Christian, I immediately my first thought was, okay, I got to be careful of this and this and this and this. But really, the thing that really sparked so many problems in my spiritual life from the point of my salvation became my family. Right? Because the, the church just wanted me to stand behind the pulpit and tell my story. But by telling my story, immediately put me in conflict with my family, which then ultimately led to all kinds of craziness, which then I had to go live with another family that put me in other situations. Like it just became a snowball effect. Every problem that arose with my family put me in other situations that caused other spiritual problems and difficulties. So it was just. It was just, I never would have, I would have thought of all of the spiritual things I need to deal with. You see, okay, I need to make sure I don't sell drugs anymore. Make sure I don't do drugs. Make sure I don't, I, those were the issues, but I know it was family that really was the thing I didn't even see. So it's camouflaged. Now, so that's, so that's number one. But number two, if we separate polygamy and we don't put it as generational sin, then we could say the number two spiritual pitfall is not polygamy. Because polygamy really is simply a symptom of a bigger spiritual pitfall, and that is the cultural influence upon your spiritual life. We don't live our Christian lives in some vacuum. We don't live our Christian lives in some, you know, you know, um, 
safe room, right? That we run into there and we close the door and we're like, okay, we're isolated. We're, we're protected. The, the bad, bad world can't get to us. No, we live right there in the world and the cultural influence is there on our thinking, on our attitudes, on the way we talk, the way we act. So much is influenced by culture. We don't even realize it. And make sure that, that, that we can, we, we, this is very important, that cultural influence can come from the, you know, a broader cultural influence, like the world in general, and it can come for your from your particular geographical region in which you were raised, and it can come li- literally from the cultural influence that creeps into your family, and then your family. This is, and I'm separating this from a generational sin. The cultural influence that that influences your family now influences you. It's not even a generational sin as much as as a cultural influence being passed down to you. Well, this is the way they think, and then you just accept their way of thinking, which really didn't derive from Christianity. It arose from something in their culture, whatever they look to, whatever they read, whatever they listen to, now it creeps into your thinking. If you look at the Bible study curriculum, this is what it says in regards to polygamy. All right, very important. Jacob's two most obvious flaws was his acceptance of cultural polygamy. The widespread acceptance of polygamy, Jacob's acceptance of the cultural practice of polygamy was at the heart of his family dysfunction. From the beginning, God clearly intended for marriage to be between one man and one woman for life. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Genesis 2, 24. Nowhere in scripture does God endorse or sanction multiple marriages. Now, there's some passages that we would have to uh, you know, really try to work on uh, in regards to that, but that's a whole different story. Unfortunately, many figures of the Old Testament chose to ignore the pattern God established in the Garden of Eden. None of the instances of polygamy recorded in scripture reflected a positive family environment. Rivalries and tensions created a dysfunctional environment. We certainly see that in Jacob's life. When he took multiple wives, all sorts of rivalries erupted among both the spouses and the siblings. Now, there is no way to get her. I mean, everyone, everyone has to acknowledge all of that. All of that. So I'm going to say that number one, your number one spiritual pitfall is just your family. You just look around. I'm t- I'm sorry. There's so many spiritual issues that get in the way. So much. I mean, depending on your on your family dynamic, it can be from out, outright hostility to your Christianity to just a more passive. Uh, attempt to keep you from in, engaging in Bible study or church attendance or whatever. It may be just passive. It can be, it can be just all of the responsibility. It can be so many issues. And then just family conflict. It's a spiritual pitfall. Family itself. And I think the next thing that you have to be on the lookout for is cultural influence. What Jacob is demonstrating in verse two of Genesis 37 is Jacob has been influenced by the culture in which he finds himself. And polygamy was normal. I mean, there's just no way to get around it. It's all over the Old Testament. It's everywhere. 
page after page after page. Here we go. Here's an account. Here's an account. Here's an account. And it, it, it seems so foreign and alien to us. So if I say a spiritual pitfall is polygamy, you'll be like, well, don't need to worry about that. Woohoo. I'm good to go today. Okay. Well, no, no, no. Slow down. Slow down. It's a symptom. And the, and the, and the real disease is cultural influence. So here is what we need to talk about. How has culture influenced your thinking? How has culture influenced your attitudes about certain things? How has culture influenced many things that you say? Like sometimes when I hear Christians talk, I'm like, that's not, that's not Bible. That's cultural influence. That's coming from some, that does not, that does not come from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's coming from something else. That comes from something else. For, and, and again, it, I, it, this always, oh, almost just knocked the computer uh, through that halfway across the sanctuary. Okay. That, that, I almost panicked right there because I literally knocked the entire laptop over and I'm like, that, we just disconnected from the internet. Okay. We're good to go. All right. But listen to me carefully. This is what drives me crazy. And I talk about this all the time here at my church. Why is it that if I took all the people in my church, put them in a room and recorded their responses and their attitudes about certain things. We could talk about guns. We could talk about animals. We could talk about politics. We could talk about government. We could, I mean, there's just so many things. And I recorded all of their responses. Now they're Christians, right? So that means they're supposed to be reflecting a Christian worldview, a Christian mindset. I saved those recordings. Then I got in my car or got in an airplane. Just We'll start with a car. And let's say I drove to California or I drove to Portland or I drove to Seattle. You just name the different parts and I get Christians there, right? And I I get them all in the room, right? And I'm like, okay, guys, I'm going to ask you some questions. And then I, I record all of their responses. I'm like, okay, all right, thank you for your responses. But before you leave the room, Let me play some responses from some other people to those same issues. And then I played what the people at my church had to say. Many of them would be like, what in the world are these people talking about? That's not Christianity. What is that? They're like pro-war, pro-gun, pro, I mean, like, what in the world are they talking about? I'm like, no, they're Christians. And it'd be like, no, that's not Christianity because the people in Portland or California, their Christianity has been influenced by that culture. And the people here in Texas has been influenced by a Texas mindset. And then if I was to then get in an airplane, fly to Australia, the UK, any, it, it just anywhere overseas and say, hey guys, listen to these people talk about these issues. They'd be like, wait, are they, are those even issues? Like they wouldn't even probably even care about those issues or not even know what they're talking about. It shouldn't be like that. Because the culture that should influence us is right here. 
It's not found in the Federalist Papers. It's not found in the Constitution. It's not found in the Bill of Rights. It's not found in the Republican Party. It's not found on Fox News. It's not found by Rachel Maddow. It's not found in, 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 in Joe Biden, the Democrats, Barack Obama. It's not found in Trump. It's no, it's it's not found in that. You, well, in Texas, we think a little different. It, it, I don't care that you're in Texas. It's irrelevant. You're not to think like a Texan anymore. You're to think like a citizen of heaven. Well, you know, in California, I don't care that you're in California. Jacob, I don't care that everyone around you is marrying multiple women. Abraham, I don't care that your wife came up with a great idea for you to have another wife and have physical relations with her. That's not, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. I mean, Abram, God speaks to you. Maybe you should just wait and wait and talk to God about the situation. Maybe. Okay. But no, he didn't. That, that's, that's what bothers me. Why does Christianity sound so different? to so many different people. And sometimes the, the reason there's a difference, it has nothing to do with hermeneutics. It has everything to do with culture. And people can't see that. I'll mention certain things and people will get mad. And it's like, no, no, our, our difference here is I'm trying to look at it biblically and you want to argue, well, that's the way I see it. I, I've talked about it so many times. Christian men will sometimes drive me to the point of wanting to drink heavily, Right? especially when something starts coming up about something going on in the Middle East, right? There'll be some some issue going on with terrorism, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, you just name it. And you can almost count on some Christian man will say something like, you know, the only solution is just turn that whole place into a parking lot. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So you want to turn a country where there are human beings into a parking lot. Therefore, you're implying that you want to nuke it out of existence. You do realize that means killing human beings who are created in the image of God. That's not Christianity. That's some male garbage, male ego. I don't know what it is. Some, I don't know, you'd think you're so tough. There's nothing godly about that. And I've heard Christian men talk that way. And it's like, that. what is that? What is that? There's nothing Christian about that. You mention anything about guns here in West Texas. Oh man, and man, you're going to get, you're going to get basically, you know, the Republican National Rifle Association talking points. It's like, I don't know. Is that the Christian worldview? And then they'll start saying, well, clearly Jesus couldn't have meant what he meant. Well, oh, clearly Jesus couldn't have meant it because, well, he didn't grow up in Texas, right? So if only Jesus would have grown up in Texas, he would have walked around understanding things differently. It, it, it doesn't work that way. If only Jesus had access to Fox News, he would have thought so much differently about these issues. It doesn't work that way. The problem is, the reason cultural influence is such a spiritual pitfall is you don't even really recognize it. You don't even really see it. You just, it's like, I've got a pair of glasses right here. And it's like, you're born within a certain culture. It's all around you. It's all around you. Now, there's certain things in the culture you will immediately go, that's ungodly. That's ungodly. And there'll be something else in the culture that without even recognizing it, I'm, I, you can't see me, but I'm grabbing my glasses. I'm just lifting them closer and closer to my face. Boom. Now I have them on. 
And if you've ever worn glasses for a long period of time, you know, sometimes you'll like, where's my glasses? Like, oh, wait, they're on, they're right there on my face. Like you almost forget that you even have them on, right? Okay, well, because guess what? That's how cultural influence is. They just become the glasses that you wear and you don't even realize it. You're like, polygamy? What's the big deal? Everyone's doing it. What's the big deal? Is that even a sin? Is that even an issue? Is that even a problem? No, you you have to look for how you have been influenced by the culture in which, and, and let me and we go through this. Here's what you have to, only you can do this. I can't do it for you, all right? You have to look in your Christian life at the influence of the culture of the geographical re- region where you were raised, okay? You, you just think wherever you were raised, small town Texas, wherever it may be, right? So what, 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 what's some of the ideals, some of the, the ways, do, this is the way, here's probably the best way to do it. Think about the, the place you were raised, the geographical region you were raised, not the state, not even the state, because like in Texas, I mean, Austin is very different than where I'm currently sitting, all right? Houston is very different than where I'm currently sitting, okay? So just think of the geographical area where you were raised, right? And just start thinking about how did people in that area think about, you just start naming different things about marriage, about divorce, about guns, about war, about government, about, you just, about abortion, about homosexuality. You just start going through, right? Immigration. You just start going through. And then, then stop and then ask yourself, how much of that has influenced your way of thinking? Now, after you've done that, think about what state did you grow up in? What state? Now, think about how your state typically views some of those same issues. It may be very similar. It may be varied. And then how much is that influence? Think of the country in which you were raised, the United States of America. Now, America is very divided, but there's still some very American ideas that American Christians have. America is very much about, you know, freedom, freedom, constitutional rights, freedom. Now that's a, that's an ideal that really, does that have any, like, does the Bible like worry about your personal freedom, liberty, 4th of July, constitution, fireworks. Like, like that's not a very like biblical concept, but we've so, we now read the Bible through that lens. Now, if you can identify all the cultural influence of the things around you, then, then you, so you can go from the, the geographical region to the state, to the country. Think of the cultural influence of the cultural, of the, of the culture influence that you expose yourself to, right? Like n- name your favorite book, name your favorite movie. Name your favorite song. And when I say favorite, like, I mean, it's favorite. You know it. You've watched it a million times. You've listened to it a million times. It's a favorite. I mean, don't, don't just pick like the cool thing. Oh, I'm supposed to pick this. You know, my favorite is don't pick something just because everyone, you know, says it. No, pick it that your real favorite. And then think about what's the main message of that book? What's the main message of that movie? What's the main message of that song? And then ask yourself, how much has it influenced your way of thinking? You've got, you've got to identify what the influences are and then see where they show up in you. All right, so you've got the where you were born, you've got the state, 
You got the country. You got the the things you you uh, you allow yourself to be influenced by movies, all of that, all of that. Then two other areas: education. Well, what was the education that you were exposed to? What what did they teach you about different things? Right? How has that influenced your thought thinking? And then the last one, which is a big one, which will tie in to generational sins at some point: the family you were raised in. Like it or not, that's a that's a that's a cultural influence. That's you, you. The first culture you are introduced to is the culture of your own family, and you can say, "Well, I wasn't influenced by my family." It reminds me of that insurance commercial. I think it's an insur- it has to be an insurance commercial where it talks about how you know it's really scary how people become like their parents, right? And then it shows a group of people, and you know. Like everything they're doing, they're acting just like their parents, right? Everything. And you're like, what in the world? Like, do, do people, do, do people do that? Do they, do they start acting like their parents? Well, if you were greatly, if you were around your parents a lot, there's, a, there's something, and in this particular case, we won't, generational sense are just something that you may not even realize your family did and you just end up doing the same thing. This is specific. Like you start acting and talking like your, your family, now, you've got you've got to look for all of these areas of of cultural influence. You've got to first identify what kind of what they thought. And then you then you look for how it shows up in you. Then after you've done that, you've got to compare it to scripture. So let's go through this again. All right. Spiritual pitfall. Family just in general. That's a spiritual pitfall. Cultural influence. We see it right here in Genesis 37. Jacob, why do you have two wives? Abram, why do you end up with two wives? Now he ends up with a third wife, but that's after Sarai dies. Uh, I think in Genesis 37, I believe, uh, Keturah, I think is her name. You, you can go look at that, all right? And then you can go on and on and on. So we got, so we have family, then we have, well, we have polygamy in Genesis 37, and we're gonna call that cultural influence. Now, whether you like it or not, you're influenced by culture. So I want you to first consider the culture, the geographical culture, that's the region where you grew up, right? Where you spent a good portion of your life, maybe where you even live right now, right? That, that geographical region, then the broader re- region where you grew up or where you live, the state, then uh, the country, then the country. Then I want you to think of the influence that you subject yourself to willingly, books, movies, television shows, and you you got to look at what what do they what do they really say what 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 are their messages what are their ideals and how many of those you've embraced? I'll hear Christians sometimes say something. I'm like, where in the world do they get that? And, and I'm like, I think they got that from a Disney movie. I don't know where in the world they come up with that idea. That's some craziness. Okay, that's not Bible in any way, shape, or form. All right, you know, I don't follow my heart. Okay, that that's from your your favorite Disney movie. It's not from the Bible. Okay, so that. So then do that. Then I want you to think of the uh, family cultural influence. That's, that's, that, that is very prominent. And then think about all the different ways your family thinks, their attitudes towards things. And then after you've figured all of those influences out and what those influences say, you have a good picture of all the cultural influences that, is, that have impacted your life. And let me tell you, some of those impacts, not very good spiritually. In fact, they may have presented to you. In fact, they're so cultural that, again, it's like a flimsy covered pit. You don't even see it and then you're going to fall right into it. You don't even realize it. You don't even realize it. 
But those influences are there. In every way, shape, or form, they are there. It's that simple. Um, and you've been influenced by so many things, and which can provide a spiritual pitfall. I'll just give you, I'll give you an example, all right? Maybe, maybe this one will work, all right? One of the cultural influences I had to deal with is that I was, you know, born in Abilene, Texas, but I was raised out here in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and had to go to, you know, I see you're getting ready to hear the cultural influence. I'm going to say, you know, school filled with, you know, I mean, these are derogatory terms, rednecks, hicks, country people who I did not relate to, all right? And I didn't care that there were rednecks, hicks, country people. It, it, I could care less what they thought or what they did. But guess what I found myself in, right? From almost the word go, conflict. And I got pushed around, bullied. I got beat up. I mean, it was just constant, 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 constant. And because of that in, that negative experience, which became a negative influence, whenever I hear anything about bullying, if I even hear, there's an anger that rises up in me that you don't even understand. I literally want to go take physical retribution and dish it out. I can't, it makes me angry. It makes me, and I, and I, and I'll start ranting about it in private. And guess what? My words don't reflect godliness. They don't reflect holiness. That is a spiritual pitfall. That influence of what I went through, it was a cultural influence because I found myself in that culture and I did not fit in. And it was basically the way the school handled it. It's your fault. If you fit in, you wouldn't have this problem. So try to do better fitting in. And I, and my argument was, wait a minute. Why do I have to fit in with them? Why don't they have to fit in with me? Why do I have to change? I'm not changing anything, right? So then it was like, you know, well, basically you're going to get beat up and we can't protect you. Well, thank you. Wonderful public school. And, and, and everything I experienced in public school gives me an absolute hatred for the public school system. Hatred for it. All of those are, those are spiritual pitfalls because they bring up emotional responses that are not necessarily godly and not even necessarily an accurate understanding of, say, the public school system. I have a very bias built into it, which is not, which, which is not good. So I, I'm aware of that influence and how much it's impacted my life very negatively. Man, if I see bullying going on, Oh man, alive. I want to, mm. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. The, the, the thoughts in my mind, not good, not good at all. I look, I have a hard time after all of these years. And I know, I know this is going to show you how ungodly I am, but I'm just going to be honest. I, I, typically now, uh, even even after all of these years, if I have to drive from the church back through Tuscola and drive past the school and I see the building, even though it's not the high school anymore, they built a new building, but the, the main building is still there. And there's a part of me, I still, there's still a feeling in me. I still want to stop and burn the place to the, na to the absolute ground. Now you're like, oh, you're ungodly. I, I am. Okay, I'm just, now I haven't done it. But there's a part of me that wants to, I will hopefully would never do anything like that. But I'm just saying that there's, it's in me. That's the influence. 
That's a negative influence that still influences me to this to this day. I didn't I didn't I didn't buy into their their culture. I rejected their culture and I paid the price for it. Okay, fine. But it now has created these issues. That's that's something that school had that 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 culture at that time was basically you conform quoting a famous band uh I won't I won't go through the song and the band because then people's like how dare you know that band okay but conform or be cast out that that's basically what it was and I wasn't going to be conform so I wasn't going to cast out that's greatly influenced me that's a negative influence upon me now sometimes it can be a po- now listen sometimes you may perceive something as a positive influence but it's not positive for you spiritually. That one I know is a negative influence and I know it can negatively impact me spiritually from a having a godly attitude. I know it. You can have something that was a positive influence in your life. It was like wonderful, it was great. But is it spiritual? Is it a spiritual way of thinking? I want you to really contemplate this. So spiritual pitfall number one, family. Spiritual pitfall number two, cultural influence. Cultural influence. And we see it in Genesis 37 because Jacob ends up with two wives. Why? Because he bought in. Even as the Bible study curriculum says, he accepted the the cultural practice of polygamy. Even the Bible study curriculum even describes it that way. He accepted the cultural practice. What cultural ideas have you just accepted? And it may not be the cultural ideas of someone in California or New York or Boston, but it may be you've accepted the cultural ideas of the the geographical region, the state, the country, the family, or the influence of of. The, the things you've submitted yourself to, you've subjected yourself to, whether it's movies, books, music, whatever the case may be. We've got, we've got to identify what those things said, and then we got to look for them in ourselves, and then we have to confront them and go, wait a minute, that's, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. And I, there's thousands of ways I think that I'm like, oh, that's, that's not the way, it, that's not the way it thinks. That's not, that's no, that's not the way. That's not the way. That's not the way. I mean, um, be, be, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another one. Because of the cultural influence of my family. All right, my family was messed up beyond all comprehension. Boom, messed up, okay? Mom dies before I'm even out of, I mean, I'm, I'm still in high school. She's dead, okay? I don't have basically any relationship with my father. My, my relationship with my father basically comes to an end when it's, what, 1990. Uh, we have Desert Storm going on. I'm gonna be deployed to Desert Storm. I don't know where I'm going, okay? I'm, I, I get, in, I'm in New York City, I'm kind of like stranded, don't know what's going to happen because the plane breaks down, there's threats of terrorism. So I call my dad. I'm going to call my dad. My mom's dead. I'm going to call my father and, and tell him what's going on and, you know, just try to, you know, talk about what's happening because I don't even know where I'm going now that the plane broke. It's just craziness. It's like everything is up in the air. It's it's chaos. And I call my dad. Now, I'm I'm in an airport in New York City. We're in a little small room because we're worried about terrorist attacks. So I can't even leave the room. And it's just like one phone. It's a pay phone. So I, I pick up the payphone and call collect. My dad knows where that I'm being deployed to Desert Storm. He knows what's going on. He knows that, you know, what's happened in Iraq and, and Kuwait. He knows everything going on. 
and he denies my phone call. That was pretty much the end right there. That was the end of everything. I was like, fine. So I kind of developed a mentality. You know what? I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I don't need family. I don't need it. Just wash my hands. So in my estimation, I'm done. I don't need, I don't need any. I don't need my brother. I don't need my sister. I don't need my dad. I definitely don't need my mom. She's dead. I don't need anybody. Family is irrelevant. I don't need it. So that developed in a mentality in me like, oh, okay, you got an issue with me? Fine, move on. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care about reconciliation. I don't care. I'm just going to move on. Just, I'm done. Done. Wash my hands. Finished. Don't need you. I don't need any, I don't need anything. But pretty much is my mentality. Now that's not a good mentality to have. That's an influence. That's an it. That's a cultural influence. And that's the culture, the influence of family. And that shows how family is a spiritual pitfall, but it shows how that influence then stays with me. Not only de- dealing with those situations was the pitfall, but even after the situation is gone, it developed a way of thinking that like, you know what? I don't need anybody. I don't care if I have friends. I don't need friends. I don't need anything. I, I need, I mean, I need my music, a couple of books, a dog, some oatmeal cookies. I'm good. Now, when I got my own family, I definitely tried to have a different mentality there. I need, then like, okay, I want the, it wasn't even about needing. I want my family and I, and I need my family. If I got this family, then I'm good to go. I tried not to have the same mentality there, but there's still a little bit of it within me. It's like, oh, there's a problem. I just walk away. Just, I'm done. It's not worth it. And that's not a good, that's, that's not a good mentality, but that's from the influence of family. Now, this is not fair that I'm doing all the confessing and I'm the one trying to demonstrate how utterly unspiritual I am. It's really not fair. There needs to be other people here to go, yes, like we're in an AA meeting. Yes, yes, my name is so-and-so, and I too have problems, and here are my problems. Like I need some other people in this AA meeting to talk about, uh, to talk about their problems, okay? But, uh, but it's just, I'm just trying to show you the influence, right? It, it can, some of the, I want to make sure you see, generational sins are kind of just things that you are sins that show up in your family that you may not even be aware of and they just seem to show up in your life as well. These are, what we're talking about here is the influence of family, the influence of, and the, the and family is a cultural, it's the first culture that you are exposed to. Then you're exposed to, to other things, right? Then you're exposed to the, the ge- geographical area where you grow up and you hear how people talk and you, you kind of just start picking up. Okay, that's the way people think. And then you may just develop the same mentality and then the state, then the country, and then, and then the things you subject yourself to like movies, music, and different things. Now, for me, I was more influenced in many cases by probably music than I was people. Um, I was probably more, well, actually, no, there was a lot of things. My mom, even though I didn't have a good relationship, there's some things the way she, she handled things that, well, were not good, <laughs> that I probably got, was influenced by. So there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. I'm going to have to stop right there. Um, I know, and again, that's, remember, this Bible study exercise this week is very topical like this. We're just, we're discussing some of these things, just using Jacob's family as like the starting point, right? It, we're just using it as a starting point. Why? I mean, the text doesn't bother to explain to us why he's practicing polygamy, but we know why. He's adopted the cultural practice 
Okay, now what can I learn about that? Well, guess what? I can sit there and say, Jacob, you are horrible. You should not have accepted the cultural practice of polygamy. Didn't you know that God said one man, one woman, they the two will become one flesh? He didn't say the eight of you will become one flesh. No, Jacob, how, no, 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 no. I can see, hey, why did Jacob do that? I'm like, oh, cultural influence. Well, that's a spiritual pitfall because there's all kinds of cultural influences I have to deal with geographical, where I was raised, the state, the country, the family, and the influence that I subject myself to every time I listen and watch and read. There you have it. Now, I, I, I confessed all of my garbage. I don't know if that helps anyone, but I've never, I try to always tell you I'm just a sinner sitting in front of a microphone. By no means am I the godly one. I'm the ungodly one. I just, the ungodly one who wants to talk about, well, godly in, about godly things and theology and try, try to use my ungodliness as an example to keep you from the same problems and same issues. But you've probably got, you could probably uh, uh, write a book about all of your issues as well. We've got to just detect it. And I just see Christians today, when they start talking, I'm like, that's not, really? So so now you you sound like Tucker Carlson from Fox News. Really? That That's, you sound like Alex Jones from InfoWars. Really? I mean, like, do you not see that now you're sounding like the influence of, of the culture that you're submitting yourself to? That, that's a different kind of cultural influence. All right. Okay. And uh, someone said, yes, uh, cultural influence is definitely a spiritual pitfall. Well, I'm glad that they acknowledge, they agree with that. I think, I think most people, I think many people will agree that, that cultural influence is probably... I, th- I, I, you see, I'm trying to still connect it to family because I just want you to see cultural influence. We always think of cultural influence is dealing with rock and roll, Hollywood, video games, rap music. You know, some, some like that's sometimes what we always reduce. Culture involves more than that. It involves family. It involves every. So I, and I, and I want to just stress the family because that's going to be a part of the generational sin. So I just think cultural influence is far more prevalent than we would like. And it just shows up. And passing in Genesis 37. And it shows up throughout, <laughs> in fact, the entire Old Testament. Well, why were they doing that? I love when I read commentaries like, well, when they do that, just understand that that was a cultural norm at the time. That doesn't mean any, okay, great. It was a cultural norm. It doesn't justify it. It doesn't justify it. <laughs> so, all right. I hope that was helpful. I hope that was helpful. All right, you can uh, contact me newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com that's newsif at yahoo.com there we go there's the bible study exercise for tonight right two spiritual pitfalls family cultural influence there we go thanks for listening god bless